Welcome to Watch Therefore, the program designed to help the disciple of Messiah Jesus obey His command to watch therefore and be ready. For you don't know the hour of the day your Lord is coming. Dove Schwartz here at the Sea of Galilee, encouraging everyone who's watching more than ever to watch therefore and be ready. Messiah Jesus is coming for His people any moment. So thankful to be with you once again on the program Watch Therefore. Such an important teaching from the Word of the Living God for all of us today. Let's start off with a word of prayer, shall we? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you, oh, Holy Father, in our great Messiah, Jesus' name. Thank you for this time we have together. Please bless all of our viewers and help us to watch therefore and be ready. We ask it, Holy Father, in our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on our last program, we saw the coming of our Messiah Jesus as we return with him as he comes to sit on the throne of David at the end of what is called the Great Tribulation. Oh, the Bible says, our Savior Jesus says in the Bible that it will be the time of the world's greatest trouble. And we also saw that there are some of our um, post-tribulation rapture friends, they believe the church is going through the whole tribulation, and they misinterpret this passage that we're going to look at again because it helps establish, this passage helps establish the reality of an important parable our Savior commands us to learn. So we're going to look again at Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And we saw that the four winds there is the north, south, east, and west and that this passage perfectly cross-references with Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. And there we saw that the elect he's talking about here is not the church being raptured, being caught up, and then coming right back down without going to that place the Lord's prepared for us. No, we have already gone to that place the Lord's prepared for us, gone through the judgment seat of Christ, received our crowns and positions to return then here with the Lord. Well, who are these elect? We saw from Isaiah 11, 11, 12, these are Jewish people still scattered in the nations, receiving the Lord, being brought back to Israel. And remember, this is part of our covenant and prophecy teaching series. And we saw in covenant that the Lord has this covenant with Israel and a remnant of the Jewish people in the nations, and certainly those in Israel, will receive him as Lord at the end of the tribulation. That's who this is talking about. It's so important 
to understand the covenants the Lord makes with his people Israel and those in the nations he grafts into the covenants with Israel. If you haven't seen any of those teaching series, you can go to our website and look at the archived videos. And so what helps establish what I just shared with you about these passages is what we're going into today in Matthew 24, verse 32, because it talks about the fig tree, Israel. So let's look at Matthew 24, 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Let's start off with the first four words of verse 32. Now learn this parable. When do you think we should learn this parable? Now. Why isn't every church leader, every Messianic leader, helping believers in Messiah Jesus understand this parable? Because we're commanded to learn it. It's urgent. Now learn this parable. So let's do this together. It's the parable of the fig tree. Now think of this. We've already seen in our teaching series in Joel chapter 1, there's no mystery, there's no confusion of what the fig tree is. The Lord calls His covenant land Israel. He says in Joel 1, my land, and then calls His land His fig tree. It's clear for anyone who reads their Bible to see that the promised land, the holy land of Israel, is the fig tree. And quite literally, I just saw one of the most prominent uh, Bible prophecy teachers. You see him everywhere. I'm not going to name him by name. That's not what I'm going to do. What I'm going to talk to you about is the wrong teaching itself. And he literally said, and I've heard people say this before, it's, it's nuts. He said, Israel isn't the fig tree. Do you know what I do when I hear someone say that? Click. I turn the channel or turn it off. Or because it's like a train wreck, you, ha you have to, you can't, it's hard to turn away from. I sit and listen to it and go, no, and I yell at my television. And my wife says, just turn it off. No, it's terrible. Israel is the fig tree. It's, it's the Lord's timepiece. You don't take your watch off and throw it in a lake. Come on, folks. And, and so the reality is the one who walked on that lake right there, the Sea of Galilee, speaks of Israel, his fig tree, putting forth leaves or becoming, ten, becoming tender and putting forth leaves. You see, here in Israel, fig trees become tender and put forth leaves, yet there's no fruit in the springtime. And then in summer comes the fruit. What does this mean? Israel physically was rebirthed in one day in May in 1948, fulfilling that passage we've looked at already in Isaiah 66. In one day, the earth would be made to give birth. The birth pangs would come that are consistent with the four birth pangs that we spoke of earlier in Matthew 24 that are shaking the whole earth. Yes, showing us this is that generation. And, and, and so when it puts forth fruit, that means Israel, that remnant I spoke of a minute ago, will receive Jesus as Lord and King Jesus will come and sit on the throne of David. And he says this, that the generation that sees Israel physically reborn will also see the earth shake in such a way that will culminate with the spiritual rebirth of Israel. 
And, and he says that here. He says, so you also, when you see all these things, all what things? The four birth pains, the, the, the uh, fig tree blossom, all the gr- things in the great tribulation. These things point to King Jesus coming. All of these things will be fulfilled when you see Israel physically rebirthed. And there's some other signs included in there that we'll talk about that are after this in Matthew 24. When you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. You see, folks, this is why I, I warn and I tell people, though they scoff, though they mock at me, though they laugh, though they say, you can't know what a generation is. Now, why would the Lord tell me to learn something that I can't learn? Come on, folks. And, and people have these different interpretations of what a generation is. But listen to this one in Genesis 15. Beginning in verse 13. Then he, God, the Lord, said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Let's stop for a second. The Lord is talking to Father Abraham, the father of our faith. And he's saying that the Jewish people, the covenant people will go into bondage, which we know this is speaking of Egypt, for 400 years. And let me stop for just a moment and say something else. The word generation is used in different contexts in the Bible. But there's only one I know of where the word generation is used in the context of the Jewish people being out of the land and then being brought back into the promised land of Israel. Just like the Lord is speaking of in Matthew 24 with the fig tree with regard to the children of Israel being gathered from the nations of the world at the end times at the last generation. Okay? Think about that as we look at the way the word generation is used here. Continuing on. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So let's think, this isn't trigonometry. This isn't me tinkering with the scriptures. This isn't me uh, uh, doing scriptural gymnastics. It's real simple. The Lord calls 400 years, four generations. Pop that verse back up there. If 400 years is four generations, how long is one generation? I can hear people saying it. And I've asked people in teachings, and I've heard people respond, 100 years. That's right. Now listen, let me tell you what I believe. As the Lord has commanded me to learn this parable, I believe on May 14, 1948, when that Israeli flag went up the pole, after 1900 and some odd years, of Israel, the land existing with its pagan name given to it by the Roman emperor Hadrian in the 130s AD, Philistinia, which in English is Palestine. In one day, Israel reclaimed its covenant name. And I believe that's when that generational clock started ticking. Now, listen, don't tell me I'm setting a date because I'm not. Don't tell anyone I set dates because if anyone tells you they know the day or the hour of these things happening, I tell you, run from them. They are a false prophet. But I'm saying from all I can do to study the scriptures and understand this parable that the Lord has commanded us to learn, that somewhere, somewhere in that hundred years after May 14, 1948, everything prophetically, including the rapture and us returning with the Lord and him sitting on the throne of David, 
will take place. And most of that 100 years has already passed, folks. So I don't know the hour of the day, but I do know that we are in the season. And we are that generation. Hallelujah. You know what that makes me want to do? It makes me want to watch, therefore, and with all that is in me, to be ready. I'm so thankful for our Watch Therefore message that's stirring the lukewarm out of their terrible condition and challenging the lost with the urgency that they need to receive Messiah Jesus as Lord today while there's yet a little time. And through our Watch Therefore media, the message is spreading all over the world into 200 countries, 200 million homes. Hallelujah, the whole world is hearing Watch Therefore and be ready. Myself and our ministry partner, John McTurnan, co-founded the ministry Blessing Israeli Believers. We've learned that one of the best ways to bless Israel is to bless Israeli believers in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord Jesus. They're getting out the gospel, making disciples, planting believing congregations, saving babies from abortion, helping Holocaust survivors in the name of Messiah Yeshua, and much more. You can participate. You can partner with us. Remember, one of the best ways to bless Israel is to bless Israeli believers in Messiah Jesus. The Apostle Paul was thankful that his life was poured out like a sacrifice on the altar of the faith of the believers in Messiah Jesus at Philippi and all believers in Messiah Jesus. And in the same way, we want to be poured out for the nations of the world. We do mission trips into Africa and other places. We're praying about going to India this year, 2019, in October, with the gospel and discipleship and the Watch Therefore message. And also, we have a church plant in Texas. Exciting things are going on, and you can join us. We can be poured out for the nations together. As you can imagine, our Watch Therefore Media, Blessing Israeli Believers, and Poured Out for the Nations Ministries cost a lot of money. And as I go to talk about finances, first let me say this. If you haven't yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please do not send any money into this ministry. It's our strong desire that you would simply be our guest on the program today, enjoy what you're watching, and receive Jesus as Lord today. But for those of you who are born again, you're watching for this King to come. And part of that is being a good steward over the resources He's given you. And you're looking for places to lay your treasures up in heaven. Here's a good place. We would ask you to prayerfully consider joining us in partnership with Watch Therefore Ministries. You know, uh, I can't do this alone. And my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And we trust Him to raise up viewers from the Watch Therefore Media that will want to faithfully participate in this great kingdom of Jesus work. So go to watchtherefore.tv. There you can find also links for blessing Israeli believers, poured out for the nations, explanations about all these things. And you can join with us in partnering with Watch Therefore. We also want to give people an opportunity to prayerfully partner with our ministry. You know, prayer is the engine that helps this ministry go forward. And the Lord may put on your heart to become a prayer partner 
for Watch Therefore Ministries, blessing Israeli believers poured out for the nations. So what you can do is go to watchtherefore.tv, sign up for our monthly newsletters. There also, you can find out what you're supporting, what you're sowing into for those who are financially partnering with the ministry. Now back to the program. Remember, watch therefore and be ready. Welcome back to Watch Therefore. We're continuing on in our teaching series through the book of Colossians. The very Jewish apostle Paul is under Roman incarceration for the gospel's sake. He's writing letters uh, which became the Bible or part of the Bible to different congregations in the nations, one of them a predominantly Gentile congregation in Coloss. It's been so very important and we're going to touch on something today that will arm you, that will give you a good and, and factual response to those who use these controversial passages to scoff at the Bible. As a matter of fact, it's so intense, this argument, that I'm going to teach you more of what Paul's not saying and what the Lord is not endorsing more than I'm going to talk to you about what he is saying in this passage. You'll understand in just a second. So stay with me. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. 2 all the way through chapter 4 verse 1. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So there's four primary points I'm going to touch on to answer folks who use these kinds of passages to scoff and to hate on the Bible. And what they say is the Bible is a book of hatred. The Bible, in the Bible, men use what they say is God's word, not only to endorse, but to enforce slavery. Yeah, the God of the Bible is for slavery. The Bible is a book that endorses slavery. And that's what they use as an excuse to not believe in the Bible and the God of the Bible and to try to get others to do the same. So here's the first point. If the God of the Bible and if the Bible itself endorses the kind of slavery that, that uh, for example, the African slavery, the horrors and the injustice of the African slavery. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stop for a second and tell you, there certainly have been people historically who use these passages to endorse and enforce the African slavery and the horrible injustices thereof. But they didn't do so truthfully. They did so from a wicked heart and with, bad, with a horrible misinterpretation of the Bible. And, and one of the ways I can establish that is think of the man who wrote the song Amazing Grace, John Newton. What was his trade? What did he do before he received Jesus as Lord and received the love and, and the repentance necessary to follow Messiah Jesus? He was a slave trader in the African slave trade. And when he received Jesus as Lord, he repented and got out of it immediately and learned to hate the African slave trade because he loved the God of the Bible. There was an abolitionist in England, and the Lord used him, raised him up, and used him to abolish the African slave trade in England, which then spread 
to America, as it was then abolished, rightfully so certainly, in America. This man's name was William Wilberforce. His book, The Bible. The Bible. So, in a nutshell, if the God of the Bible endorsed the African slave trade, the horrible, unjust, unjust African slave trade, then why did men like John Newton and William Wilberforce hate it and even fight against it? It's a good question, don't you think? The second point, Old Testament slavery in the Bible and New Testament Roman time slavery, they are not the same as each other, and they're not the same as the slavery that I mentioned a moment ago, the African slavery, or the slavery that is with us today, which I'll talk about in just a moment. No. For example, much of the Old Testament slavery, and even some of the New Testament slavery, was a bondservant who owed a debt and would work that debt off and then be released at the end of the time of serving to pay off that debt. Okay? And, and, and so, also in New Testament Roman slave times, it ebbed and flowed in terms of the type of slavery it was and the way the slaves were treated. At one point in the Roman slave times, they were more like employees and lived like people in the middle class do in America, for example, today. And, and so there's a lot of intricacies involved here. But know this, the Old Testament and even the New Testament slavery, by and large, had nothing to do with or wasn't even comparable in any way to the kidnapping of, of precious African souls and then brutalizing them on ships and then treating them the way they were treated in England and in the colonies and then later in America. Okay? And, and, and so it's just not the same. The third point. In the Old Testament, the Lord regulated slavery. Why did he even regulate it? Why did he allow it in any way? Well, think of the passage that tells us, where our Messiah Jesus tells us, that, that, that God didn't originally come up with, the, with divorce. And it's not something he wanted. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, there's a passage where it says God hates divorce. Well, why did he allow it? Because of the evil in men's hearts. There was no way for him to prevent it without just wiping out humanity. Okay? So he allowed Moses to issue a decree of divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts. He regulated it and tried to keep it as fair as possible in the midst of a wicked humanity. And let me give you an example of how wicked humanity is. Those who scoff at the Bible today, they promote and they put their faith in international organizations and leaders who say they're going to stop modern-day slavery while they're up to their ears promoting sex trafficking, human trafficking in every way, making billions of dollars off of it. And know this, folks. There's more slaves in the world today than there have ever been in human history. And, and, and not only is it unregulated, it is as wicked and evil and disgusting, more so than ever in human history. And so what I'm saying with point number three is the Lord didn't want slavery, endorse slavery. He regulated it because he knew there was nothing he could do to stop it short of wiping man off the earth, which leads to the fourth point. Paul is addressing a far greater slavery, man's slavery to sin. 
And if he would have charged with a crusade to stop slavery in his day, he wouldn't have been able to complete his mission to see people saved, not only in his day, but down through the centuries, even to our day, as we have such important parts of the Word of God from the ministry of the Apostle Paul about salvation, how to be saved from our sin, because the slavery to sin leads to an eternity in a lake of fire. How to become righteous followers of Messiah Jesus. How to live a godly life. How to be prepared for the coming of Messiah Jesus. And so much more. What about you? Have you been released from the chains of the bondage of your slavery to sin? I'm so thankful that I've received the amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Messiah Jesus is my hope. He saved me, and I'm watching for him to come. Can you say that? The Bible says, our Savior Jesus says in the Bible, the one who sins is a slave of sin. Yeah? And we don't have to live a life of sin, shaking our fist at God. No. We can join Team Jesus and have our sins washed away and live a life where we now and then sin, but we don't enjoy it, we repent of it, we confess it, and we go forward growing in His grace. Does that describe your life? Maybe today there's someone you'd say, I really want to get really saved. Turn away from your sins. Acknowledge what your sins are. The Holy Spirit will show them to you even now. Begin to turn away from them and turn to Messiah Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. He lived a sinless life. The innocent died to pay for the guilty. He died. He was buried on the third day. Hallelujah. He rose from the grave. And he wants to forgive you right now. He wants to be your master. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's a much greater master, a much kinder master, a a loving master, where Satan is a taskmaster, dragging you off in chains to hell. Now, have those chains broken today. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Cry out to him, Oh, Jesus, Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm turning away from my sins now. I don't want to live that life. I want to live the life of Christ. Save me, forgive me. And fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Change me. Give me a new heart. Amen. If you're praying that now, then there's information on the screen. Please, please contact us. We'll send you a free brochure, How to Begin My New Life in Christ. And for all of our viewers today, I pray the Lord blesses you. I pray the Lord makes a way for you. I hope the things I've shared with you uh, in both segments, teaching segments of our program, will, will really arm you and equip you and prepare you as we walk this journey out and we're coming close to the end folks so look for him to come live a life today start now where you're getting ready to meet our savior and to dwell with him and to live in the kingdom of god for eternity here's how we like to end the program remember to watch therefore and be ready messiah jesus is coming for us any moment thank you for watching the program today watch therefore is sponsored by the friends and partners of Watch Therefore Ministries. In future programs, we'll have many more Watch Therefore teachings from the Bible, worship, and exciting interviews with our believing partners in Israel and around the world. Please contact us at doveforisrael at gmail.com. That's D-O-V-F-O-R 
I-S-R-A-E-L at gmail.com. And if you would like to subscribe to our newsletter, you can fill out a contact form on the website watchtherefore.tv. We also have audio programs available on our website, watchtherefore.tv. We are on social media since it is a great tool to share the gospel and communicate with one another. You can also find us there at Watch Therefore TV. Until next time, we're watching for King Jesus to return. Watch Therefore and be ready. Slain, he'll come again. Our conquering king on that day. His sword will go forth to take back and re-